We ever wanted him uh, to go back to Jerusalem. We knew it was going to be dangerous, but the master was determined. You could say he was driven. My time has not yet come, was something he used to say a lot. But now it had come with a vengeance. He told us what was going to happen, and it comes back to me now. I'm going to be delivered into the human hands. I'll be killed, and on the third day, I'll be raised to life. I remember it so clearly now, but at the time, none of us were able to take it in. That Thursday uh, was very dramatic. We didn't know uh, what storm was going to break and all hell was going to be let loose. The whole city was abuzz with the preparation for Passover, and we didn't know what his plans were. He normally had something up his sleeve, and as time was getting on, we had to ask him, where are we going for Passover? You probably all know the story uh, very well. He had it all sorted from the start. You and John go down into town and look for a man carrying a water jar. That was easy. A man doing women's work would stand out in the crowd. There he was. Our instructions were to follow him wherever he went. And the house that he entered, well, the owner would be expecting us. The master often did things differently. And he was always hard to read. I remember the first time that we met. Andrew and I were going uh, about our daily chores, doing a bit of shore fishing, and some of our mates uh, were working away washing the nets. Just a very ordinary day. But that day, my life changed forever. This stranger came along the shoreline and got into one of my boats. I remember thinking at the time that was a bit cheeky, um, but there was something about him that made you slow to question him. A crowd suddenly gathered, and I never heard teaching like it. I didn't understand it all at the time, but I knew I wanted to. Then, maybe why, by way of saying thanks for letting him use my boat, he said to me, push off from the shoreline and go a bit deeper and toss your nets into the water. Personally, I thought this was a bit daft, because obviously he knew nothing about fishing. The sun was high in the sky, and the serious fishing for the day was over. We had caught so little the night before, but I thought I'd humour him and give it a go. Well, was I glad I ever did that. We had the biggest catch ever. It was incredible. I knew there was something special about him, and all of a sudden, I felt dirty. I couldn't handle it. My life up to this point had been fairly crude, but here he was, put out his hand and told me not to be afraid. And then he said to me, why don't you come and follow me and you could be fisher of men? But that was all in the past. Let's get back to last Thursday. John and I had got everything ready and Judas had reluctantly shelled out the costs for everything that was needed. And come evening, the 13 of us gathered together ready for Passover. Little did I know that it would be our last Nothing was going to be the same after that night. You Gentiles uh, won't understand what happened unless you really understand that Passover takes ages. I mean, it lasts for hours. And this Passover was like no other. 
The atmosphere in the room was so tense. Each of us was afraid to speak. I had never seen the master so heavy, so preoccupied, so sad. John was very emotional. He was often like that. And he could be seen leaning in over the master with tears in his eyes. Then, with a big sigh, the master spoke these words. One of you is going to betray me. Well, we were all stunned. We looked at each other. Surely not me, was our cry one after the other. He didn't leave us wondering who would betray him for long. Just at that moment, Judas, the one who often looked after the money, was dipping his piece of bread into the chariot, just as the master did the same thing. That's the one, he said. Then he added, it would have been better for him if he had not been born. I tell you, that sent chills down my spine. Do what you have to do and do it quickly, the master said to Judas. And I tell you, Judas left the room with his head near his sandals. I don't have time to go into detail of what happened in the room that night. The master even washed our feet, every single one of us. I tried to be the big lad. I was like, no, 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 not, not, not my feet. Don't be washing my feet. I should be washing yours. But the master just smiled, one of few smiles that night. Peter, unless I wash you, you have no place with me. When I heard that, I wanted every part of me washed. I wanted a bath. And he, the master, seemed to understand. When we got to the middle of the matzot, that special piece of unleavened bread that we Jews set aside at Passover, he did something strange even for us. He broke it and said, this is my body broken for you. At that time we wondered, what could he mean? But we don't wonder anymore. The master would pray a lot. He loved to pray. And that night he taught us many things. John, John, he's written them all down because he's the one in our group about who's in the guy for the details. The master talked a lot about going away, which puzzled us, but we're not puzzled anymore. Then after supper, he took the, uh, the cup in Passover, the cup that we call the, redemption, uh, the cup of redemption, and urged us all to drink from it. This cup is the new covenant in my blood, he said. It was now getting late, and we sang an old Hebrew hymn. After that, we got up, headed out across the Kidon and up the Mount of Olives to a favorite place of the masters. It was a garden of a friend, and the master went there often when he was in Jerusalem. The place is called Gethsemane, the Olive Press. A peaceful place, or at least it normally was. I was exhausted. We all were. It was a warm, balmy night, and most of the followers just crashed out among the olive trees. But the master asked, Zebedee, asked the Zebedee boys and myself to keep him company. He was at his lowest just then. His anguish was way beyond anything that we could handle. Like, I'm only a simple fisherman. This was well outside my depth and my experience. We could see the master was sweating as he prayed. And in spite of his conditions, I'm ashamed to say I couldn't keep my eyes open. I'm ashamed of it now. But we did not realize what that weekend was going to bring. He told us how distressed he was. 
I'm overwhelmed with sorrow. I feel so bad that I could die here and now. We didn't know what to say, but he didn't ask us to say anything, just to be with him and to keep watch. That's all he asked, and we didn't even do that. Even through my sleep, I could hear the master's agonizing prayer. He said something like this, Father, must it be this way? Is there no other way? There was a big pause as though he was waiting for an answer. Then, if not, let it be so. Not what I want, but what you want. So be it. It was embarrassing. Three times he came over to us, and every time each of us had fallen asleep. Suddenly, the master woke us all up. This time, he was in full control of his emotions. It was as if a great emotional and spiritual load had been lifted off him. Some big personal battle had been fought and won. He was himself again, fully in control, but yet his words scared the life out of us. The hour has come. Look, the Son of Man is delivered into the hands of sinners. Come, let's go. Here comes my betrayer. Just at that point, Judas arrived with a mob armed with clubs and swords. The Jewish leaders had sent them. And when I saw that traitor, Judas, leaning in forward to kiss the master, I lost it. I was carrying a little broadsword in my belt, and I took a swing at one of them. Took his head clean off. Well, at least his ear. But the master, he was having none of it. He put me in my place. He told me that he had forces that I knew nothing about, but this was not the time to deploy them. And then he healed the man. Perfectly healed the man. Put his ear right back onto his head. I know that miracle unsettled many of those men but each of them were committed to arresting him. He just told us it had to be that way. I just wondered why. Now I know, but that night we all left him. We just ran away and left him. We were pathetic. They took him to Cephas's place. I followed in the background. I knew some of the ground staff there, and I was able to sneak in and keep my distance. I wanted the master to see and realize that I wasn't a total card. The council members took the master inside, and I learned afterwards that they gave him a rough time. And they paid thugs to tell lies about him. And when they brought him outside again, where I know he caught a glimpse of me, that made me feel better. But that was short-lived. I hadn't recognized the danger of my Galilean accent. This wee pest of a servant uh, kept staring at me. He's with the captive, she said. And before I could think of it, my self-perservation uh, instincts kicked in. I don't know him. Twice more she persisted and I, that I was with him. And again, I lost it. I course cursed and I swore. Look, I never met him in my life. I tell you, I do not know him. Just at that moment, the fire in the courtyard flared up a little and the master's eyes met mine. I can never describe that look, the sadness, the disappointment, yet understanding and incredible love. It broke my heart. 
Then the morning call of a cockerel sounded twice, and I remembered how he, the master, had challenged my boast that I would never desert him. I had failed when he needed me most. Surely he would have no use for me now. I went away and I wept. The rest of that terrible morning is nothing more than a haze to me. I was sadder and more confused than I'd ever been my entire life. All our hopes, all our dreams were in tatters. And the master was being subjected to abnormal torture and humiliation. To Pilate, to Herod, back to Pilate, places that I could not get into. I did see him just after Pilate had handed him over for crucifixion. He was unrecognizable. What those soldiers had done to him was brutal beyond imagination. He was terribly disfigured. His back was raw, and a cruel circle of twisted Palestine thorns had been mercilessly forced into his forehead. Even removing it would have caused him excruciating agony. And then, on top of all this, he was forced to march to his place of execution, carrying his own cross until he collapsed and progress became impossible. They then forced a slave to carry it from there, those Romans are merciless. We followed all the way to Golgotha, outside the walls to the west of the city. I couldn't watch as they nailed the master and two others to the crosses. The cries of agony still give me sleepless nights. I looked up when they dropped those rough wooden crosses into holes in the ground and drove in wedges to keep them upright. I looked into the master's face. The only recognizable feature were those eyes that had broken my heart just a few hours ago. It was nine o'clock, and so much had happened since the night before. The master even found time to pray for the soldiers who drove the big wrought iron nails through his wrists and his feet. Father, forgive them. They do not know what they are doing. I thought they knew rightly, but he could see things that they didn't. Luke wrote down what happened just then. He's the educated one in our group. And I could not believe the callousness of my fellow Jews and the religious leaders. Let's listen to Luke's account. The people stood watching, and the rulers even sneered at him. They said he saved others. Let him save himself if he is God's Messiah, the chosen one. The soldiers also came up and mocked him. They offered him wine vinegar and said, If you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. There was written a notice above him which read, This is the king of the Jews. One of the criminals who hung there hurled insults at him. Aren't you the Messiah? Save yourself and us. But the other criminal rebuked him. Don't you fear God, he said, since you are under the same sentence, we're punished justly, for we're getting what our deeds deserve. But this man has done nothing wrong. Then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Jesus answered him, truly I tell you, today you will be with me in paradise. 
It was now about noon, and darkness came over the whole land until three in the afternoon, for the sun stopped shining, and the curtain of the temple was torn in two. Jesus cried out with a loud voice, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. When he said this, he breathed his last. The 12 of us, or I should say the 11 now, we were terrified. They'd gotten the master and they'd be after us now. So we went into hiding. It was awful. All our dreams, all our hopes were in tatters. The women were actually more courageous than we were. They told us afterwards that a pair of rich Jews had asked for the master's body and made all the necessary arrangements for burial. The woman saw where they had laid him. That Sabbath day was awful. The longest day. I cried a lot and I couldn't believe it was all over. Then there was Sunday morning. The women were up early. They went to the tomb, but I couldn't have faced it. They went to put perfume and spices on the body. It's all a bit pointless if you ask me, but it's what we Jews do. Thinking about it now, they could have done with one of us to move the stone from the entrance of the tomb. But when they got there, the stone was moved to the side and the tomb was empty. At first they thought that the Roman authorities had taken the body into custody, as they might well have done. After all, they had set four soldiers to guard the place but it made no difference. He was gone. The woman even saw a stranger dressed in white who said, are you looking for Jesus? He's not here. He is risen. Mary even met him, but she thought he was the gardener. She ran and told us, and John and I tore out of the door and over to the tomb to see if it was just as the woman had said. It's great to recall it now, what a weekend that was. What a mixture of emotions. I was so confused for a while that I just went back to my day job. I went back to fishing. But the master, he never gives up. He met us at the lake, even had breakfast with us, and performed another of those fishing miracle episodes. All mind-blowing stuff. I told him I was sorry about the denial, but he just kept asking, do you love me, Peter? Tell you, I never loved him more. The last time I saw him wasn't Olivet. We had said our goodbyes and we had hugged each other. That was nothing could prepare us for what happened next. He went up. I mean, he just went straight up into the sky. We couldn't turn our eyes away from the point where we lost sight of him. And two more of those guys in white appeared. I know now that they're from the place uh, that the master had come from and to which he had returned. They told us that he would come back in just the same way that we had seen him go. That will be some day. And you know what? I'll be with him and I hope you'll be there too.